Hi everyone, welcome to Freshwater Perspectives. Today we'll be talking about Asian carp or invasive carp, and we'll be giving you the ultimate guide to them. Hope you enjoy. back matt how's life it's going good riley busy busy i did have uh, you probably saw this seeing as you are a researcher yourself but uh i'm a little behind on, on the news here but i wanted to share this with our readers is that the the white house they announced the uh the no fee public access policy that will take that will take effect next year you know i think i think that's pretty exciting mm-hmm. for Maybe not for researchers that now have to pay for their research articles to become public access, but at least as someone who understands that all of our funding comes from the taxpayer, it's important the taxpayer can access that fund that that research. But yeah. real quick, let me let me break this down for the for up. the audience here. So for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure if you've tried to access a paper or something like that, there's a lot of paywalls. So in our field, obviously, a lot of all of our research, we compile it into this research article. This research article goes through peer review, and then it eventually gets published on you know, one of many different many different journals. And if a member of the general public just wants to access the article to read it, a lot of times they can't because they have to become a member of that journal and a subscriber. And that can be hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But with the white house's new policy here, any project that was funded with uh, taxpayer dollars, which is, I don't know what, like 70, 80 to 90% of research articles nowadays are funded with federal dollars. Yep. Um, they have to be open access, which means anyone can access them at any time, which I think is great. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, yeah, that veil of accessibility is its really a big deal because it's like, oh, yeah. um, it, it's keeping, I mean, in a sense, withholding information, right? Like, Oh, 100%. I, and, I think so. I, mm-hmm. It never made sense to me. Like, you know, being educated and, in, in, you know, being like a, a biology major or whatever in college mm-hmm. and then even as a graduate student, it never made sense why. Because we always talk about educating the public and everything we're doing is for the public, but the public can't access our anything that we're doing. So, yeah, it's actually surprising that it took this long. No, I agree. Right. 100%. So, um, 100%. Yeah. I'm glad to see that come through. Yeah. This makes me, this makes me happy. And even if it means that, you know, graduate students and labs just that just it just means that that fee is then passed on to the lab but again we can request funding through our grants anyway to accommodate that so so that so yeah a lot of papers that you can have it open access for people who don't know but like mm-hmm. you have to pay a couple thousand dollars in some situations it's called yeah, like an depending open access on, the, fee. on the journal mm-hmm. um so that is still going to have to be paid for huh Hundred percent. That makes me sad, but yeah. So, if I'm not mistaken, so there usually is a publication fee, but most of those publication fees go to the university as as a whole. So there's like I don't know. I think it's like the library. There's some office that takes care of that 
yeah for it just to go to the to the journal if you want it to be open access then yeah then that goes straight to like the the author essentially so like mm -hmm. our lab would have to pay that twelve hundred dollar fee essentially um but i'm pretty sure with funding nowadays you can write in a line of, on your funding mm -hmm. saying hey we need i don't know three thousand dollars for publication fees so that um literally tonight i was looking for a paper and i i am not with the university anymore um yep. and i couldn't i couldn't get in i couldn't look at it and i was like oh my gosh like <laughs> come on like um it's very frustrating so um yeah hopefully this will help the yeah average joe yeah. um get get that information that's great what about you riley how are, how are you doing did you pick up any any new current events lately not new current events current life events i have to share um uh -oh. last week in the apartment last week maybe being in an apartment for the rest of my life so we'll see Ooh, about that that's but, exciting. Um, yeah a little stressful i went to a conference i don't know if i talked about this yet mm. but mm -mm. um got to go to a, a tribal water quality conference Oh, and you'll you'll fun. enjoy this. Um, this it's um, within the reservation of this tribe. They had this lake, and this lake has um, really bad water quality. It's impaired for phosphorus, Ooh. so it's like on the three o three the the Clean Water Act type of situation. Mm -hmm. It's impaired, so it needs to get fixed. So like the tribe's trying to fix them. They're doing a really good job. So it's like um, it's in a kind of like a valley. Okay. Mm -hmm. surrounded by agriculture um but so they like they worked with i think the agriculture to like fix that they like put buffers around like the valley so there's a oh. buffer then they put in it's called an iron trap mm -hmm. um so it phosphorus if it comes through it'll bind with that iron and not go in yep. there so that's cool um <laughs> and then but the water quality is still not good and they're like what the heck is going on mm. um so this is a fun one um and they found that in the the lake they have invasive carp which we'll be talking oh. about different species of carp today and what i'll be talking about that's an aside but they have um a lot of minnesota lakes in southern minnesota have these common carp okay mm -hmm. they wallow in the mud you know they pick up all the vegetation oh, so this, this is basically yeah. like it made the lake into just a big mud bowl okay mm -hmm. But they were like they're still trying hard so they have like all these um carp traps like there's companies in minnesota that just take out carp they'll, they'll really? trap them yep like huh. herd them pen them like yeah wow. like a lot of bio volume it's pretty interesting so they did that there um mm. the, the make lake. it huge too mm -hmm. and they're finding like apparently as, as much trap as they do they still can't get all the carp out because they like they like i mean they at some point with these control methods they they understand and then like mm -hmm. swim away or like they apparently they're going like in the shallows and hiding out like all this stuff oh, so it's pretty interesting wow. but um they'd like it also this lake is tiny it's a tiny bit connected to another lake a lot of minnesota lakes are like that kind of like chain lake type situations mm -hmm. but um but they block that with a weir to get like carp so they don't come from one lake to the next to spawn because this is like their spawning lake too okay but the the lake still isn't good water quality so it was super murky right um mm -hmm. you could tell like there's sediment like coming up um they installed a um a bubbler like a oh, aeration yep yep and i was like guys like 
if you have no substrate like on the bottom you have the, the you know fountain you know like think about our catfish ponds way back mm-hmm. when and i was like you guys might be like you know so i'm like is, is it like um does the does the lake like um stratify this is getting mm-hmm. real big into limnology and they're like no mm-hmm. i was like well it's because you guys like got it. the aeration man i was like you know cut down on that movement of water and they're like i'm not saying that i am helping them in any way like they're like yeah mm-hmm. like we know but like they tried to i think they had like algal blooms as well so it was like t- a mm-hmm. way to maybe cyanobacterial blooms specifically i wasn't sure but they're trying to mm-hmm. mitigate that and i was yeah. like and they're like yeah so like if anybody has any i was talking to them i should have said this in the beginning because they they asked like does anybody have any like ideas oh, I see. of like how to to fix the lake and i was like um have you ever considered draining it and they like looked at me and i was like drain it i was like you guys got a bunch of sediment it sounds like so they they blocked all of the the nutrient inputs they're still so basically what they found out like it's phosphorus loading you know yeah just the internal yeah. p loading mm-hmm. and i was like gosh yeah this is like where in this agrarian landscape where um i grew up in like it's at some point a lot of these lakes are getting to it um mm-hmm. it's like yeah you gotta almost start over yeah isn't that weird to think about i'm not advocating that everyone but it's like it is an option and people have done it before yeah especially it's if one you of... have patient or not um invasive carp too because you mm-hmm. what's one way yeah, that's a really good point carp is like drain that bad boy so mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't a fishing lake it was like more of just aesthetics type of situation yeah and i was like get rid of it so yeah i mean it's definitely case by case basis oh, yeah. um i guess i'm always i was i'm always cautious because that's like such a drastic thing right to drastic. drain an entire lake i am but yeah. i mean like you said if it's if it's simply aesthetics you're not it doesn't seem like you're hurting anything. I, I guess the question is where does, you know, downstream, where's that water going? So you yep. might just be moving that problem somewhere else. And I am um, by no way advocating. It's just an option, but yeah, more yeah, for a stimulating no, for sure. conversation, right? Cause it's yeah. like, what, no, I like at, it. At what point, like in this field, like when do you, mm-hmm. I don't want to say throw in the towel, but like just start over. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. kind of just wash your hands of it. Yeah, like know. you said, start start fresh. Isn't um, that a weird? But it seems process? like, yeah, but it seems like they they kind of have at least they have ideas, right? So they understand like they're they're using the bubbler, so they're disrupting that stratification. So you're not having an anoxic mm-hmm. hypolimnion, which sorry if I'm using big words. Um, so you're not getting that layering in the water column, and then if you're getting that layering, then you can lose oxygen in that bottom part of the lake. If you don't have oxygen in the bottom part of the lake, that's when that phosphorus pops off of mm-hmm. iron, or that's when it becomes available. So if you're oxygenating that bottom part of the lake, you're mm-hmm. in theory preventing that phosphorus from becoming available. Um, yeah, but interesting. Yeah. There's other ways yeah, of sir. removing phosphorus, so you can do like um, an alum treatment. It's called. Um, so they they but yeah, we actually yeah. just started working with it this summer, alum. And at least in our, granted, this was one field experiment. It did not work at all. Where did you throw it into? Oh, we threw it into the bags. So, I mean, yeah, like mm. you said, yeah, it might not be the best scenario, um, the, but it, we only, didn't see a yeah. huge treatment effect. Like on a lake level, if you throw it in, um, if you if you mitigate, reduce the inputs, 
So mm-hmm. like this one, like did like it sounded like their phosphorus inflow was super low. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that might work. And like if you didn't disrupt the bottom, because it kind of forms that barrier lock. So like, okay, if if you were in that bag experiment, if you were mixing a lot, that, yeah, that's gonna bring up the fo- like that that ruins yeah. it. You know what that's I'm saying? It point. needs to be like a yeah. lock or like a so. Um, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, because um, hmm. were you. Did organic phosphorus go low in that experiment? Uh, or did you measure total phosphorus? It was not my experiment, so no, I, I can't so <laughs> I have not <laughs> I have not seen the data. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I haven't seen the SRP, the bioavailable phosphorus Sorry. numbers for that for that experiment yet. But they didn't yeah. seem very excited. But we're getting in the, the weeds, results. sorry everyone. But uh it, it is an interesting thought process in the very least, is like just throwing the towel and this comes into play with what we'll be talking yeah. about a little bit today well, is Asian carp, but and I mean something else you could do while you're in there, while well, at least if you're draining the lake, right, and you're taking such a drastic approach. One thing that happens a lot with aquaculture farms is they they scrap them out, right? So they mm-hmm. remove a lot of that sediment because that's where you're getting all of that recycled nutrients from. Yeah. So that could be an option too, is removing a lot part. of that sediment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I so. told. Those like you gotta you drain it and then get a a dredger dredge it Mm -hmm. out um so expensive like just not practical in most situations right absolutely not (laughs) or here's another fun one is um what do you do if yeah lake is super gross Mm -hmm. leave it (laughs) just let it be gross you know what Um, i'm saying yeah so that's something uh, we could do a whole other podcast i know we're going Uh, down the rabbit hole like, yeah, yeah we you, might... at what point do you just say, ooh, yeah. Yeah, we. I'm going to write myself a note. We should talk about Lake Apopka, which I'm sure you already know a lot about. Maybe? Lake Apopka? Maybe? Okay. Florida? Lake Apopka over in Florida? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 So we can, we can talk about that because that has an interesting history and the fact that it's super gross now and it didn't used to be super gross yeah and what because obviously it's like a lake it's a it was a nice lake and now it's not a very nice lake really? so this the city has tried to find ways to kind of not necessarily use it to their, to their advantage but hmm. to make the best out of a bad situation so yeah maybe yeah i might do something like a popcorn here okay but yeah other than uh that went to that um conference it was good didn't present or anything um found out that one of my papers so we're moving right um Mm -hmm. been like traveling around and then waiting a couple months on this one paper um to see if it was going to be accepted decline and then in the middle of all this chaos they're like you have until thanksgiving to get this paper back it turns out it was accepted with minor revisions so good okay congrats I guess not accepted with minor revisions, but you know what I'm saying. It, yeah. I minor revisions to be accepted. How about that? Yes. So there's yeah, different yeah. layers to everyone. But um, mm-hmm. I was like, I just emailed them right away. I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, no, no, we're not doing this. I was like, please, like, I need at least another month. Like, I don't even know. Yep. I've got like, you know, internet in the next place mm-hmm. that I'm moving to yet. I was like, just <laughs> like, we're not doing this stress filled. Yeah. But I, oh, you, wow. you took five a... months. I need yeah. That's, that's such a good okay. point. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, my favorite part too is that once the papers are accepted, then they'll send you a link, and they're like, "All right, here's the proof. You have like 48 hours to accept the proof." And you're like, "What? Yeah, you guys, like you said, you guys took five months to get it back to me." Yeah, it's it's, it's 
my um my sister is recently like going into like academia type of situations she was asking mm-hmm. about that i'm like yeah but, like i mean if you truly need more time like ask for it. like it's, it's yeah yeah there's yeah like i guess just being at least me yeah. being you know like still a student i'm like so i don't know i i at least right now i wouldn't i wouldn't even think to ask for <laughs> for more time oh don't don't get me wrong it's a last resort situation <laughs> but like yeah. it is a resort yeah <laughs> you know, no it's like, an option no no, no like, for sure because no, sure. yeah like unless it's like especially since we're like in the the new internet era it's like mm-hmm. oh you're really going to the press in 48 hours like yeah like <laughs> there's some some lady like ready like with the proof like you know like old school typeset and i'm like no 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 come on you can give me a couple more days like gosh uh, uh, it's a big pet peeve in academia is yep mm-hmm. I, I at one point i'm very happy like with how you know quick they are in some mm-hmm. regards but on the other hand i'm like everyone like these well i mean it's like they're they're only quick once stuff is like done you know Mm -hmm. yeah like depending on the journal they could get back to you i mean what was that that paper i finally got published last year or earlier this year it took like seven months to get a decision Mm -hmm. and then it's what it was what three or four rounds of revisions after that it took like almost a year to get it published with just one journal and then yeah once it finally got accepted yeah it was like 48 hours yeah you gotta get your proof out you know, it's like, Dude. do we really, do we really have 48 yeah. hours? Is there like a proverbial, like little bomb, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like, I think that 48 hours, I think it was like between all the co-authors, I was, I know I was traveling, so I had to find time to do it. I think you were traveling. Two other people were just out of town. So it was like, none of us had time to look at this thing. Oh yeah. Ugh, frustrating. Yep. But Okay. Ah, oh, that was a fun, fun little rant. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. All right. All right, everybody. We are ready to get into it here at Freshwater Perspectives. For those of you who don't know, I am one of your co-hosts, Matt Gladfelser. We have our other co-host here, Riley Buley, who is ready to talk to us today about invasive carp, it sounds like. Huh, Riley? Yes. So we'll be talking, um, little cheeky title being the ultimate learner's guide on Asian carp. Um quick side note so i i did um asian carp research for my my master's way back when um i am a little out of touch with some of the literature now but um it is looking like asian carp might not be the term used anymore and it might just be an umbrella term invasive carp um so i don't mean to offend anyone um that i i think there is a name change i didn't delve too much into that like an official name change i couldn't find Mm -hmm. like a official change so in okay. some ways you'll say see see it as asian carp still and some you might see it as an invasive carp but okay um let's we'll, we'll set it up there so that was a little aside so invasive carp um it is as the name says like an invasive species and it, they're really one of the most detrimental aquatic invasive species to enter the united states in the last few decades mm. um there's there's a whole umbrella of them and i'll, I'll really parse down in the next you know little couple sections about what actually we'll be talking about but um you know in general um invasive carp they're the really fierce competitors rapid reproducers um and they can cause serious recreational issues that's a really big deal um invasive carp so they are known to cost the the government the u.s government million dollars millions of dollars annually in in 
control measures as well as damages, okay? And one mm-hmm. project alone that the government is working on, um, it's estimated to be $830 million for carbon control. And we're going to talk about wow. this study a little bit later, but just keep that little number in mind. So um, these are, it's a really big deal. Even the blockage of major river routes has been proposed to prevent the spread of invasive carp from going from one place to the next when they're in river systems. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're in the kind of fisheries or freshwater kind of ecology field, if you're in and around it, I'm sure you've heard invasive carp, you know, silver carp, the ones that are like jumping out of jumping out of the water and like hitting people and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I guess I just never took the time to stop and think about all the different ramifications from them. Cause there are a ton of them and yep. it's not even just that one species, right? multiple yes so yeah we'll get into that right now so when i say invasive carp so that could be a lot of different things um asian carp at one point was known to to encompass um silver carp so who latin names hypothalmyces molatrix okay might be saying that wrong um we got big head carp um hypothalmyces maybe nobilis same Yep. Um, Noblest, Molotrix. Um, Noblest is big head. Noble big head. That's how I always remembered it. Um, you got, now you have even um, hybrids. So large scale silver carp. I'm not even going to say the, the Latin name. Black carp as well. Um, and grass mm. carp. Okay. So those were in that grouping of Asian carp. Um, now we say an invasive carp. Uh, another invasive carp too, that just to make things... Like, somewhat confusing you common carp is an invasive carp as well um not if i'm remembering correctly not part of that eurasian grouping of where these where these carp originated from um but for for clarity what we'll be talking about today is big head and silver carp we're really going to focus on those two uh, most of my information luckily came from one super big paper kohler et al um who I believe she was part of the U.S. Geological Survey. Um, oh. And then another information is coming from the Department of Agriculture, USDA. Okay. But nice. mostly from Kohler et al. So that's nice. Thank you. Isn't it great when other people just do most of the work for you and you just mm-hmm. have to report it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we are going to be covering a lot of different things. Um, I'm not even going to preface with that. But this, so this, that's the little intro. Okay. Big head and silver carp. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about invasive carp biology so okay. you got big head you got silver carp how do you identify them okay mm-hmm. so invasive carp they're carp so family cyprinidae one of the largest fish families in the world as we've talked about before um <laughs> i think it's the largest yes i think i did talk yeah. maybe yes last time we talked about that made that distinction as well too mm-hmm. um when we talk about big head and silver carp um just between them two, like if you, if you saw photos of this, and this will be on um, Fishwater and Travel, our um, parent website, and you can see photos of it. If you see them, you'll be like, oh, they're they're distinguishable. They got, you know, like a wide set eyes, keeled body, um, rounded head, gill plates, and the, their eyes are kind of downward facing, okay? Smaller scales, and they're either like a gray or molted silver complexion. Um, so specifically though, big head carb, Named for their disproportionately large head. <laughs> Downward facing eyes. So they're like looking down. Mm-hmm. Um, it really got this molted, like kind of almost like speckledy gray color on their, their, mm. their 
there's scales and then yeah so this this keel when we talk about that it's a, like a v-shape i'm trying not to get too far into the weeds but it yeah we'll, we'll get a little bit you know why not um like <laughs> if you flip them over looked at the belly like it is like a v-shaped belly um doesn't okay. go to the throat so that's the difference between silver and big head is that doesn't go to the throat um mm. and then other distinguishing characteristics um they have what's known as pharyngeal teeth and gill rakers ah, mm-hmm. so gill rakers they kind of the, when these fish go through they're they'll um how they feed is they kind of like pump water they, they, they like go with their mouth open like upstream they pump water through their gills and it goes through these um gill rakers and that of certain sizes traps food okay collects it and then it like brings it down to their throat and they have these like pharyngeal teeth they're called like um they're grinding type of organs mm-hmm. and that's how they eat so fun looks super weird and i have photos yeah. of it yeah um <laughs> just like an organic grinder like they're just mm-hmm. ugh, ugh, yeah <laughs> they're not really useful to distinguish to the everyday person because you gotta really get in like the fish to like get a good mm-hmm. look at them but there is a distinguishing factor so um silver carp um very similar body type it's very easy to um get these two species like um interchangeable or, or misrepresent them resonate them um yeah but silver carp more silvery smaller heads smaller mouth the keel or that v-shaped thing on their stomach goes up to their neck um gill rakers so for big head carp they're gill rakers if i can find it um i don't even know if i should go this much detail they're arched and spoon shaped whereas silver Wouldn't carps are a little more v-shaped right <laughs> um they're just different and to make things even worse is that there is hybridization between these two species so now we have that i, I um, did not know mm-hmm. um hmm. so uncommon in other parts of the world but frequently found in the united states so yeah but um native range so we talked about before at one point they were called asian carp right so um big head and silver carp they they originated in china um east russia serbia and some parts of the korea okay um the yangtze the amir and the yellow river are thought to be some of the um, the original habitats of these carp um and that's where they're found. So river systems is their preferred habitat. So um, all things being equal, they really prefer these large river systems with moving water, um, depths of shallow or three meters or more. They can be there. They can be in ponds, lakes, and reservoirs, but they really, really need flowing water for successful reproduction. Okay. Mm-hmm. From what I remember yeah. when I was younger, or in my master's, um, was um, they need like up to a hundred miles of moving water, so oh, wow. um, to to spawn and then those fertilized eggs will move through the moving water. Uh, if they oh. don't, if they don't um, stay floating, um, they're gonna die. Um, so yeah, that, it must be. I don't remember specifically, but maybe with something with oxygenation, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, if they if they sink mm-hmm. to the bottom, they can either be consumed or covered yeah. up. You know, yep. so they can just, yeah, they just yep. wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, the sometimes big head and silver carp, they they are known to migrate for feeding or spawning purposes. Um, they can be really close to wing dams or like uh, impoundments, you know, like that where food is, right? So um, they really like mm-hmm. those areas. Uh, they temperature range 16 to 40 degrees Celsius, which is quite remarkable. Big range. So they're, wow. 
Yeah. Um, they, they, they can survive in a lot of situations. Mm. Um, one of the attributing factors of why they're so such good invasive um, species. Okay. Another reason why they're so good at invasive species is that um, they're spawning and reproduction um, habits. So big and silver carp, they reach sexual maturity at two to three years of age. So mm. younger in comparison to other fish we talked about. Yeah. Um, we talked about sturgeon a couple of episodes yep. ago. You know, those might take a couple decades, whereas this is like mm-hmm. two years. So yeah, um, relatively quick. Um, Especially for such a large fish. Mm-hmm. Yes. And another reason why they're so invasive is that they can produce a staggering, staggering amount of eggs in one season. So mm-hmm. big head carp can produce up to half a million eggs per spawn. Yeah. Wow. Silver carp can, it's a little bit less, hundreds of thousands of eggs per spawn, but still crazy big number. Mm-hmm. Spawning can sometimes occur twice or more than one time a year. Oh, so a lot, lot of, lot of young, right? Yeah, that's kind of like the perfect storm for invasive species is that Mm -hmm. it can reproduce early, right? So early, early on in their life history, yep, they can reproduce often and they can reproduce a ton. I guess add on top of that, they don't have any natural predators and. Yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder, so we'll I'm talk about I that. Uh, yeah, I'm, about to say, I'm sure you'll get into it. <laughs> Another reason why they're so good at invasive species is that they are more generalist feeders, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, young big head carp are known to predate on zooplankton, such as rotifers or copepods, okay? Um, but they're, you know, in general, big head carp are opportunistic. Uh, oppor- in general, big head carp are thought to be like very opportunistic feeders. Then they'll they'll switch to eating phytoplankton if needed. Um, you mm-hmm. know, kind of go with the flow type of situation. And um, for those of you who don't know, phytoplankton are like the the base of the food chain in many food chains. Uh, get their energy from the sun. Um, zooplankton are like the next level up, little bugs that feed on phytoplankton in some situations. Um, so those are the difference between zooplankton and phytoplankton. Very quickly, silver carp thought to predate on phytoplankton more specifically um but in general both are voracious feeders and do quite well and we talked about how they they feed that pumping through the the gill rakers and yeah they just sit swim with their mouth open oh you know it's just got to be a great life like a clam like yeah okay here's yet another reason why they're good at being invasive species is their growth and lifespan so big head carp can grow almost a half of a kilogram per month when they're young super quickly they get big super quickly reach up to almost 23 kilograms or 50 pounds in five years yeah so i guess for context for those of you who are on the metric system half a kilogram is about 1.1 pounds Mm -hmm. um so yeah a pound a month they're growing which is that's quick so why is this important is if you are a young fish you might have a lot of predators, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a point where the, that those young, they become big, almost no, too big for other fish to eat them. So they they're they're, um, what's the word? Gape. gape. Yep, gape limited. Gape limited. So the pre- predators are gape limited, is that they can't literally can't fit the fish in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So then these fish are out of the food chain in that situation, and they become yep. um, just giant torpedoes that just eat okay yeah Um, and on 
and on top of that, you're, you know, because you have this, the number of the sheer number of offspring they're producing, they're just overwhelming their predators. Yeah. You know, so if you're, if one fish can produce 500,000 eggs and say even, I don't know, 10% of those, so 50,000 are reaching, you know, are, are able to hatch successfully. Like that's, yeah, that's, yeah, those numbers yep. add up quickly. Um, so, uh, silver carp, they, they can, they have a somewhat slower initial growth rate, but at, at to that five year mark, they can get up to 50 pounds as well. So, wow. um, yep. So this is like a perfect storm of what makes these fish such good invasive species. It's just, mm. yeah. Um, going on a little bit here. Why do they jump? So as Matt mentioned, uh, yeah. you, you, and you may have seen viral videos, you know, like the two thousands is what I really saw. Mm -hmm. That was like, it's just like a, a boater, you know, in a motorboat going through like a, a part, part of a river. And then you just see this massive numbers of jumping invasive carps, um, serious issues to boaters, lacerations, concussions, broken bones. Um, you know, there's portions. So the Illinois river, for example, uh, going into the North the northern portion of the state if i'm remembering correctly um that that really like at one point was ground zero where all these fish were um i think mm -hmm. the De plains as well was another river in there um that there were sections where people weren't advised to you know go on the river because there's just these 50 pound jumping torpedoes that would come through there crazy mm -hmm. um so why do they jump and and really so we, we're talking about big head and silver carp um silver carp specifically are the ones to jump mm -hmm. okay so that's another distinguishing factor if you had jumping silver carp and i've been hit with one of these bad boys before like it oh, have you really oh yeah oh geez yeah just i mean like so like on the hand never like in the face okay like through a net too and they're like boom you know and i'm talking mm. fish that are maybe a foot you know so nothing big but they yeah they hurt mm. um and this is like um thought as a defense mechanism okay so mm. vibrations coming from a boat motor um that that can be felt through the water column and that will trigger these fish to jump okay so this mm. is agitated to the point of jumping um i can tell you when i raise these fish so i raised asian carp for study purposes and mm -hmm. if they not even if you had um vibrations but if they got stressed out too um, they hmm. would jump. So that would be like, you know, aquaculture, you get all these little telltale signs of how your fish are doing health wise. Mm -hmm. And if you start seeing these guys just jumping for no reason, you're like, oh, what's happening? You know, is the oxygen on, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. Type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's such a, start jumping. that's such a weird adaptation for such a big fish. I feel like, I feel yes. like you, you'll see a lot of that with, you know, like bait fish, like the, mm -hmm. you know, again, you might see like a viral video of a bunch of bait fish, like at the top of the water column and you see like a whale come up, you know, mm -hmm. like soon after but to have 50 pound fish doing that is like, what, what could they possibly be jumping from? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's yes. insane. So, um, again, we're talking about these, these are just crazy invasive species. That's just the icing on the cake. Um, mm -hmm. so we, we, to take a step back to with aquatic invasive species, for those you know, for those of you who don't know what an aquatic invasive species is, um, the term invasive species can has been thrown around a lot, but like specifically, an invasive species is an organism that is establishes itself outside of its native range. Okay, so um, silver carp they came from portions of um, the Amira River, for example, 
Um, they, they established themselves in the United States, so that you know invasive species. But a really key factor with an invasive species, it has to cause ecological and or economical harm. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, these definitely fit the mark. Okay, um, rapid reproducers. Um, you know, they they spread quickly. I'll compete other organisms, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, checking all the boxes to being an aquatic invasive species. Other invasive species that you might um, have heard in North America: zebra mussels, Eurasian roof, round goby, curly leaf pondweed, starry stonewort. So those are some of the. If you want to do a quick Google search, um, you can really go down the rabbit hole with invasive species. Super interesting, but super um, detrimental. So it's it's kind of a it's it's, it's a fun but sad um, <laughs> thing to look up, unfortunately. So. Um, came from big and silver carp came from those eurasian countries so the big question is how do they get here okay mm-hmm. and the jury's a little bit out where and when and why they came it is thought though that big and silver carp came to america they were brought to help with commercial aquaculture and or wastewater management in the 1970s okay yeah. this um, is what i heard this, this is this is yeah. what i was taught mm-hmm so they were brought over because they were thought to consume phytoplankton in aquaculture and wastewater management ponds really a lot of nutrients flowing around you heard us talk about this a lot this produces these harmful algal blooms for example um, that can cause you know low oxygen conditions as well um, in certain situations so these these fish you know throw them in a pond they they are going to feed down this phytoplankton um, help maintain water quality and reduce that phytoplankton biomass. Um, did it not work? Did it work? The the effectiveness of it in invasive carp, or these invasive carp specifically, at reducing phytoplankton biomass is questioned. So there is these gill rakers like we talked about, and these gill rakers are like graders that like sort mm. certain sizes of phytoplankton can get trapped others go through so they don't feed on all sides of the phytoplankton and for that reason you know are they good or not that depends on what your goals are i guess um however when it came to this though uh, these if i'm remembering correctly um they they were in the, the mississippi river basin i mm-hmm. think in arkansas that's I what i heard that's what i heard was arkansas and um there was a flood flooding occurred from these aquaculture and or wastewater ponds and that 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 brought asian carp into quite the ideal um habitat for them on the mississippi river basin um this has led to their escape the mississippi river basin unfortunately is widely connected okay and um, a very large river system ideal for these two invasive carp species yes um super fun um very you know infested areas mississippi missouri illinois rivers as well so i mean a lot of these major river systems um i mean they're connected so now they're they're all this is so the last couple decades they've they've gone through um the illinois river not naturally is connected to the great lakes basin though so that mississippi Mm -hmm. river basin to great lakes basin that was what some of my research was on um very commercial route and um could be a route for invasive carp to 
get into the Great Lakes. I believe there has been reports of them in the Great Lakes. Do not quote me on this. Um, it's been a couple years. Um, that's an aside. Um, there's worry that that you know establishment through that region. Um, there's a worry. But however, mm-hmm. you know Great Lakes. You know, low nutrient type of situation, low phytoplankton, yeah. um, and these fish need moving water to survive or to reproduce. Um, so that might be a way of reason if they did establish substantially, how much would they establish that those are all questions that researchers are still looking in there. So, um, very big issue though. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. Um, we, we do not want them in the great lakes or tributaries to the great lakes in any way. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So another thing we haven't talked about, um, with the Asian carp with the invasive carp are um, food web issues, okay? So we talked mm-hmm. about a lot of stuff already, why, why there's such great um, invasive species, but a really big one, you know, the outside of recreational issues um, is the food web issue. So voracious filter feeders, we talked about that. Um, some research has found that um, up to 80% of rotifers, which are zooplankton, can be removed by big head carp in a very short period of time, okay? So wow. they like quickly can reduce really you know a certain size of mm-hmm. um, zooplankton um and silver carp you know again phytoplankton communities they, they graze it down as well and when you think about these these carp as we talked about they have certain size requirements um if they're they're going through an area and selectively grazing down um, one part of that phytoplankton community that might leave an opening for other um things to to take the the phytoplankton's place that the the Mm -hmm. carp have eaten so um there has been some attribute you know attributions to you know promoting harmful algal blooms for example and another really big one though is that so they're they're feeding very low on the food chain right phytoplankton Mm -hmm. zooplankton um in these areas of the the mississippi river you know there's a lot of you know game fish for example walleye is you know one and walleye when they're adult they don't feed on zooplankton but when they're young they do so that competition right of those smaller more prized game fish um that's where a big issue with this food web is is occurring Mm. is that you know carp when they're feeding down these areas they're they're out competing you know the larval these so i think our first podcast is these really you know, critical life stages. So that's, that's causing an issue on the whole ecology of an area, right? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So they cause economic issues. We talked about boating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that can be really big. And, um, you know, some of these areas you know, in the Midwest, these tourist towns, you know, if you have these recreational or fishing areas that are now overtaken by these unwanted fish, it's, it's a really big deal. And, um, mm-hmm. So in a recent Nature article by Dengue et al. in 2001, um, attributed the global cost of just inv- aquatic inv- or invasive species in general, um, global cost annually is $26 billion. So, mm-hmm. right, that's a, just one of those numbers you can't even, like, put your mind around. And that's yeah, just, you no. know, um, biodiversity loss, ecosystem services. We have to pay for control and management of invasive species, um, mm-hmm. recreational and aesthetic values. Okay. Um, Colbert et al. Another study reported that aquatic invasive species, so specifically aquatic invasive species, mm-hmm. um, combined, 
estimated, <laughs> just a bananas number, $345 billion to the disruption of the global, not annually, just in total. Um, so that's wow. fun. So super big numbers. But again, this is like even some single projects are getting almost to the billion mark. So um, $830 really? million dollars is a, a study or a project to prevent um, this, this spread of invasive species from the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River Basin. They're looking wow. at control measures. Um, the Army Corps, you know, that, that has, um, the U.S. Army Corps has, has kind of put that amount of money to preventing these spread of these these wow right so crazy yeah that's definitely a number you can't wrap your really really wrap your head around as a researcher mm -hmm. 830 million dollars for a project yep yeah that's insane so what what's that what's that 830 million dollars being spent on that's what we're gonna get into next not that's a good question yes so what what's being done to stop invasive carp we know they're bad they cause a lot of you know issues to to food webs to just to human safety crazy um so there's a number of ways and these are control methods so the big one right now is electric barriers okay hmm. so an electrical field um you have i don't know the correct verbiage anodes or rods um that are under the water surface and they, they go down like the, the the whole bottom of a river right and it mm -hmm. produces a field of electricity and mm. that is supposed to prevent them. So um, fish, you know, have lateral lines, for example, they can perceive that electrical current uh... and they'll avoid it. But also if I am reading this and studying this correctly is if, if, if the, they get, so they can perceive the current to avoid the area. Okay. But if they get mm -hmm. in the current, they will get shocked and mm die in some situations okay hmm. i believe it's been a number of years so i apologize if anybody's current well, on this. i mean it's de it's definitely possible it's mm -hmm. just a matter of how strong the current is yep so this is like you know so yeah, one big way definitely possible yep in the chicago area waterway system so um this is where this is constructed right now so there are electric barriers so there's mm -hmm. some of this what i'll be talking about is a little more hypothetical this one is this is in like this is like at least in one point in time, this is like, this is the way to stop it. Wow. Okay. I believe yeah. there's a lot of different ways now that they incorporated, but this was one of, at least, yeah, one of the, the original. That's yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah. I like yes. that. I mean, yeah, the, I know electric arrays pretty similar to that are actually used in some water treatment plants to remove metals from water. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yep. So, I mean, yeah. And, um, so here's the next one. Next one is sound barriers. Okay. Oh. Acoustic deterrence. Okay. So say you don't want to have an electrical current. I mean, it can be an issue to human safety as well. Mm -hmm. um, we're made of water. Um, if you drop a person in that electrical current, you're going to get shocked. Um, yeah. So uh, acoustic deterrence, excuse me, acoustic deterrence, um, much like electric deterrence, if you have this point in a river, be like, all right, from here, we're going to. Um, prevent them and the, the research here though is that um, why it w works well is that invasive carp they have swim bladders okay mm -hmm. and it's like the swim bladders perceive that sound like it amplifies that sound that acoustic sound when it under the water hits that swim bladder 
and it's loud to the fish. The fish don't like it, and they get deterred. Okay. Hmm. Um, some some fish don't have these. Um, I believe they're it's called osteophysans. Um, specifically, this like hmm. specific swim bladder connection, and um, so they're able to hear this sound and um, somewhat better than native fishes in theory, and this is preventing Asian carp from moving upstream. Um, huh. Now you could ask, you know, can they, you know, learn to avoid this or like become numb to this sound? That's a whole nother aside. Um, but this is one way that they're looking at is these sound barriers. Mm. That's definitely interesting. Huh. Yes. I, I like the creativity with some of these projects. So much creativity. Yeah. Um, well, then I, yeah. Maybe you'll get to this later, but I, all of these, you know, all between electric bears and acoustic bears, they sound very intensive, especially on native wildlife too. Yes. So oh. I think, yeah, um, in these some of these areas, it is a the trade off of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess at, at a certain point, it's mm -hmm. kind of worth. I mean, it's if you're only affecting a small area, a relatively small area, mm -hmm. it's probably worth it in the long run for sure. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, bubble and CO two currents are the next barrier types. Oh. Um, so this is a <laughs> a stream of air or CO two would be shot down into the water, and it's mm -hmm. a current. So super good. Say if you had a barge. Okay, you're going through. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to that bubble current isn't going to hurt the barge, but it would oh. prevent the the fish from moving. Um, specifically the CO2 um, version of this bubble curtain, it exploits the, the physiology of invasive carp and other invasive species. So fish species, well, I should say all fish species, but depending on how much CO2 you add in there, um, fish species can tolerate only so much of CO2 in that area. Okay. Mm. Otherwise they would die or become lethargic, for example. Um, so if CO2, in theory, if CO2 was risen above a, you know, invasive carp's tolerance, they would perceive this and avoid that area. Okay. So that is that, that deterrent. But again, like you said, um, trade-offs between native fauna Yeah. for all these is, yep. yep Especially yep, yep. with that CO2, I feel like you're essentially creating a dead zone around, yes. around that curtain. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how far that would stretch considering if it's a river system, how far that CO2 saturated water could carry for. Mm -hmm. um, but, huh. So it's just, it's just just a jet of CO2 just going right into the water. Huh. That's very yes. simple. Um, here's a more extreme one. Shutting down lock and dam systems to prevent migration. Yeah, that Sounds is very extreme. Extreme. People have called for this in some cases. One case in a, for specifically um, in the upper Mississippi, by Minneapolis. It's called the Upper St. Anthony Falls. It's a lock in Minnesota. Um, at least for some time, it has been closed to prevent the spread of invasive species. Hmm. So how do you, like, it, it, when we're talking about these curtains, barriers, deterrence, um, you know, there's, there's one way to absolutely prevent the spread, and that is, you know, impeding physically the, the movement yeah you you yeah so um in this situation it was a dam so it was a if i remember correctly a flow over dam so you got that water movement 
Um, mm-hmm. But moving a fish upstream and other native fish, so that's the issue, um, yeah. that's impeded. So um, even boat commerce, too, at that point, you couldn't get up any farther. Farther, mm-hmm. you know, recreational boat, for example. So for sure, pros and cons is action. I'm not sure if they've opened this up yet or um, for how long it was closed. For some point, though, um, it was closed. Wow. Interesting, right? So yeah. um, this just goes to highlight the extreme measures that they're they're using against invasive carp. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, talk about the whole ec- economic impact. If you're shutting down an entire part of a river. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, no boat traffic. That's insane. Yep. Um, so deterring them is one method we, we there's just a lot of fish though in the a lot of yeah. carp in these rivers and that raises another question is can we use invasive carp mm-hmm. um, and the answer is certainly they are human consumption you certainly can eat invasive carp um, mm-hmm. you know they're, they're perfectly edible um you know they have been even raised in some countries for for human consumption for thousands mm-hmm. of years um you know quite popular in some um, Eurasian company uh, countries, excuse me, and you know in the, the United States, I I don't think it has that um, popularity. So, no. but companies and chefs have been working to promote the consumption of these fish mm. um, in American markets with limited commercial success, but they've been doing it. So, one of the big reasons why limited success is that. Asian carp have what's known as a Y bone. So it's like these extra bones um, in, so if you ever fillet a fish, you, you know, the rib cages, mm-hmm. um, you know, some just have this, you know, what you would think is a rib cage, one side, one side, but then a Y bone is like an extra little Y shape on the end of that rib cage. So extra bones and it really, you know, oh. it's, it's difficult to fillet a fish. You can do it, but at a fast commercial pace, it's hard. So that's one of the think, reasons too. I think that's kind of like the pin bones in a salmon fillet. I'm not mistaken. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Because yeah, um, salmon, you have to you have mm-hmm. to get those pin bones out. Yeah. I know in um, in northern pike, got the Y bones. Okay, I've never filleted northern pike. Not so. fun, but hmm. um, so. Chefs are, despite this little bone thing and the, the limited um, popularity, chefs are trying to, to work to fix this. So in a Sierra Club article, um, it was talking about um, in Kentucky, some of these uh, rebranding. So Kentucky Silver Carp is one way. Um, and I think in the video, they're making burgers out of it. Look pretty oh, good. Huh. Um, hmm. Or Kentucky tuna, which is my favorite. <laughs> oh, I like that. Kentucky tuna. That's <laughs> a that's a really good rebrand. It's a that's it's, really good. It's a whiter fillet. Um and yeah, I mean it's a big fillet. It's then uh I've yeah. I've had Asian carp before actually. Excuse me. I've had invasive carp before actually. And I think it's the one I had. It tasted like a dirty river. Um, oh really? They made fish tacos out of it but it was like a soupy fish taco so i think i would be down to try it again that's what i'm okay. saying um i will I, if yeah. i know anything about fish a lot of it is how you clean it and prepare it because i'm especially like catfish people say catfish tastes muddy and a lot of it is you don't clean the filet out very well mm-hmm. and if you have like a very bloody filet and you just yeah. cook it it's gonna taste like mud and like so if you grab a 50 pound fish that's in a gross river 
it yeah. might have some bioaccumulation of some fun stuff, right? Yeah, like, that yeah. too. So yeah, I think it's um, yeah, yeah. I think it's fairly well understood that bigger fish tend to not taste as good compared to smaller fish. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. And there, so there are commercial fishing incentives huh. in the 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 Mississippi, Missouri, Illinois rivers. Um, and there is a commercial market for them. Um, so in some ethnic markets in the United States, there is a popularity of, you know, the Asian carp to be used, but then also commercial operations have, um, exported it to Asian com oh. countries. Okay. So exports wow. for con consumption is occurring. Um, lastly, commercial operations have been looking and, and I believe have established, um, converting this carp meat into pet food. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean it's a it's I... a source of protein, right? Great. Yeah. Um, just need yeah. to get it out. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah. very it's very resourceful. Because I was just thinking too, well, if you're gonna throw eight hundred and thirty million dollars towards a project, well, why not just mm -hmm. catch as many as you can, grind them up, and like make them into a fertilizer or something? But yeah, making them into pet food mm -hmm. is a way better idea. Yep. <laughs> and um, you can fish for them. I think you have to look at your um your your local regulations i believe fishing for them it's kind of like a snagging in some situations so this i do know a little bit about mm -hmm. i do know if you do catch one it is illegal to, throw, to let it back you right. have to call it you cannot yeah you cannot there's no catch and release with with invasive carp um if i'm not mistaken i mean seeing as it's invasive i'm almost certain it's a year-round open season and yeah. I don't think there are any restrictions on them. No, yeah, n more so like regulations. Though I was referring to was like, um, I think you have to like snag them. Yeah, so, I mean, considering they're a yeah. they're a planktivore, you can't it, yeah. you can't catch them on on a on a hook and worm or anything like no, that. No, no. Yeah. So and I think in Minnesota, I'm not sure if you can snag anything. So. Um... Oh, Minnesotas are Puritans, you know what I'm saying? When it comes to fishing, they're like one rod, no yeah. fun. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> whereas Alabama, it's like, you can have any, like, yeah. <laughs> throw out a jug line. Go as for it. As long as it's not dynamite, we don't really care down here. <laughs> fishing down there was so fun. I wish I had more rods. Just like, it's great. line them up. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, uh, yeah, I honestly forgot about those rules. Yeah. Know, like the one rod. Yeah, yep. I forgot about a lot of that. It's stinks um, but no hmm. um okay so that that's where i'm going to end but a, a little recap here because we talked about a lot of stuff so silver and big head carp highly invasive came to the united states in the 70s by wastewater aquaculture got in the mississippi river basin um really great habitat for them um you know they're 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 voracious feeders like we talked about feeds down food webs can outcompete other um more prized fish for um you know their their food they jump recreational issues there's been a lot of work on you know preventing their 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 spread with electrical sound bubble curtain barriers even the the whole removal or blocking of a dam to prevent their spread has been has been utilized um commercial recreational fishing um has been promoted and uh, maybe with a rebrand we might have um, Kentucky tuna in stores for here to come. And that is your beginner's ultimate guide to invasive carp. Nice. Ooh. Nice job, Riley. <laughs>
Nice. I love Kentucky Tuna. I love that name. I think there is like the people who do rebranding for a lot of the stuff, they deserve like that's that's pat on the back there for Kentucky yeah. Tuna. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't pretty good. <laughs> well, it's like it's not from the sea. So like nah, at some fine. point you can't dupe your <laughs> customer either, you know what I'm saying? What's the one like sea yeah. bass or something? Like it's not even a bass or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But no, I like it. I mean, yep. you you gotta get creative because there is. I mean, there's a hundred percent. It's like with the consumer, it's a mindset you have to beat. You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I like. For, I know for a fact, like ninety percent of Americans, if you were like, "Oh, do you want carp tonight for dinner?" They would say, "Absolutely not. I do not want carp for dinner." Yeah. If you're like, "Oh, do you want to try some Kentucky tuna?" They'd be like. Oh yeah, I'll try some Kentucky tuna. You know, Apparently that's one hundred percent what you're fighting. Carp is really good. I've never had it. Um, I can imagine that being really good yeah. because you're putting so much more flavor into the into the fillet. Maybe they need to so, have yeah. smoked. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Smoked Kentucky tuna. I like it. There you go. Because with smoking it can't have a high fat content, right, or something. Or okay. I, I'm going out of my realm, so I'm not even. Yeah, I have yet. no idea. I mean, if but. it's a very flaky fillet, yeah, I don't think it works as well. Which, which um, um, like silver and bigger carps, it's flaky for sure. Yeah, so I don't so. think it'll work as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can smoke anything, right? <laughs> I just don't know if it would. <laughs> I just don't know podcast. <laughs> Well, let's smoke. <laughs> um, I'm sure you can smoke it. It's just, yeah. I guess the question, like it probably just doesn't stay intact as yeah. like nicely as like smoked salmon does, right? Which mm-hmm. I guess that's up to the consumer whether or not it's a big deal for them. Yeah, I tried smoking but... trout this summer. It worked, but one of the times I did it, it was a. Uh... <laughs> this just wasn't too much meat, so I made like basically trout jerky. And I was like, mm, it was fine, but oh, yeah. what a waste! I know. Oh no, well, I ate it, but I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you're just gnawing on it. Yeah, basically. Uh, oh, man. Yep. All right, nice job, uh, nice job, Riley. I think yes. this was a, I think this was a good way to, you know, it's something that I'm sure everyone's heard about, so it's cool to learn more about it. Yeah. But where can they go to learn even more about this kind of stuff? Yeah, we have a website called Fishwater and Travel. Um, that's where you'll find back episodes of Freshwater Perspectives, as well as other articles related to all things fresh water. So fish to water wars to zooplankton, anything. So check that's it out, right. please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. See you, Riley. All right. See you, Matt.